Well, good morning. Thanks for joining us. If you're joining us online, we are glad you are here. Just an addendum to Daniel's announcement. He thinks I'm going to give a short message. Dream on, buddy. He thinks that'd be a draw on Christmas Eve. Dream on. Hey, um, today's message, it could end abruptly, kind of like unexpectedly. And you need to know there's a little dynamic going on. Our younger son, 20-year-old Drew, is working sound for the first time in the back. And he said, Dad, I've been looking to mute you for 20 years. So it could happen at any time, people. It could happen at any time. But I want to tell you what happened in the first service. Old Dad's in his head. I'm doing my closing prayer, and I turned off my mic inadvertently. Freaked him out back there. What's going on? Dad's still got it. Dad's still got it. 20-year-old thinks he's got me. So years ago, I was on a mission team in Siberia. We were doing campus ministry for a year. And we needed visas, get in on a tourist visa, but you needed visas to stay in the country. And it's a Russian bureaucracy is hard. We didn't know the language very well. And they could be really particular on, on your getting in and out of the country and staying in the country. So the people who were giving us language lessons said, you know, we'll do your visa for, for a cost. And it's kind of like, yeah, we'll pay. We'll, we'll you know, because we don't know. We can't do this system. We're putting the full weight of our trust in you. And they said, hey, you know, some, that means somebody's going to show up at your door sometime and, and want to do a blood draw to do a, a, an AIDS test for all of you guys. So, okay, we talked to the people in Moscow, truck us out or train us out some um, vials because we don't really want to use Russian stuff. So we had that. So we came, we were ready. But, I mean, it was, we're putting our full weight, our full trust in you. You tell us to do it, we'll do it. I share that because Jesus coming to Advent, that is a call to put our full weight. I'm following you, no questions asked. Well, as Americans, that's, that's not something we do. Like, we're free, right? Don't tread on me, no taxation without representation. Jesus said, I want you to lay that all down and follow me. Why on earth would we do that? That's what I want to talk about this morning. So you got a Bible. If you'd open it to uh, Isaiah 42, we're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to go through verse 9. We're going to wrestle with this question, why is Jesus worthy of our trust? Why is Jesus worthy of our trust? Daniel mentioned we are in Advent. This is a time in which we are pulling back from the busyness of Christmas to remember God took on human flesh. God came to us. We don't want to miss the significance of that. Well, it was a big deal, and God had his prophets talking about it hundreds of years before the fact, and one of those prophets was Isaiah. Isaiah ministered in a time in Israel, about 700 B.C.-ish. First part of Isaiah talks about uh, uh, the world power Assyria coming up, and uh, Ahaz was the king, and Isaiah said, hey, Ahaz, just ask God for any sign, and just he'll show that he's with you. And Ahaz, oh, I don't want to put God to the test. And so um, what happened is Ahaz had made a deal with Assyria, and he didn't want to trust God. He didn't want to pull the full weight of his trust in God to protect them. And guess what? Assyria broke the treaty, and they came in, and they, they took the northern kingdom, and they consumed that, and it was never to exist again as Israel, and they came right up to the walls of Jerusalem before God did work. Well, you would think Hezekiah would learn from that, but after a while there was a new 
world power on the scene called Babylon in Isaiah 39. He comes in and he shows Babylon everything, trying to win favor with them. And the prophet Isaiah goes, hey, 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 why'd you do that? That was a mistake. And as a result, Babylon is one day going to conquer Israel. And, and that, in fact, even though Isaiah was looking ahead 100 years, that, in fact, happened in 586 B.C. But there's a change at Isaiah 40. Um, Isaiah speaks these words, comfort, oh, comfort my people. By this time, probably Hezekiah is out. Manasseh is in as king. He's a wicked king. Isaiah doesn't have the king's ear. He's probably ministering to the remnant, the faithful people. And he said, even though this is coming, I, 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 I want you to be comforted. God is in control, and he's going to send a deliverer. And in fact, chapters 40 and 41 are a call to trust in him. And what we find out later in Isaiah, even though it's, it's 100 plus years before the fact, God said, yeah, captivity is going to happen in 586 B.C. It's going to go for 70 years. Then I'm going to raise up Cyrus. But he names Cyrus actually in Isaiah 45, 170 years before it happens. He says, Cyrus and Persia will be the new world power, and he will write a decree to free you. People say, well, that, that can't be. I, Isaiah had to have written that after the fact. And my answer is, well, that depends on your view of God, doesn't it? Because my view of God is he stands outside of time like an author in a novel. And he, and he can call his shot, and he knows what's going on. And, he's, and God's saying, I'm the one who has called every shot from the beginning. Why would you trust anyone else? Why would you trust any other idol? And I've done this before, but let me put it in context again. Would anybody like to name the win, who you think is going to win the 2040 election in this country? How about the 2060 election? Anybody got that? God does. We don't even know who's going to be in the race. We don't know, how many, we don't know what's going to be, but God does. So why, Israel, and why, church, would you not put the full weight of your trust in God, the one who sent his son to take on human flesh? to die in our place. Well, that's been a consistent message, and it is, starting in Isaiah 42, verse 1. It says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. I want to stop there. Again, this is written 700 years, 700 B.C.-ish. 700 years later, uh, Jesus is born. He spends 30 years in um, working as a carpenter, and then he goes into public ministry. And to inaugurate that, he's baptized, like Daniel talked about. And there's a voice that comes out of heaven. And, and these are the words that are spoken prophetically from God. This is my servant in whom my soul delights, Matthew 3, 17. So Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment. There was an early fulfillment of Cyrus who would free the people, but God is saying there's an ultimate fulfillment in Jesus, and he will free my people. goes on to say, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. Here's what he's going to do. He's going to bring forth justice to the nations. I want to stop there and talk about that justice to the nations. Well, Andy, is that a personal justice where we get right with God, just as if we've never sinned, talked about in Romans? Certainly it is. But it's beyond that. Well, then are you talking about, is there going to be this kind of talking about a distribution, redistribution to make things right? Nah, it's going to go beyond that. It's a look, a complete surrender to God to bring forth his order and to realize there needs to be a work in my heart, your heart, and the heart as a whole for us to live out God's design. What are you talking about? Well, after Jesus died and he rose again, 
he ascended into heaven and he uh, called a man named uh, Paul, who was Saul, Paul, and Paul became this great champion for the, the gospel. And he wrote a letter to the Philippians, and in it he said this in Philippians 2. He said, consider one another more important than yourselves. So I want to talk about our two-party system. We've got the Republicans and the Democrats. Do you think the Republicans are considering the Democrats more important than themselves? Or do you think the Democrats are considering the Republicans more important than themselves? I don't. Consider one another more important than yourselves. Here we go, second part of it. Look out not only for your own interests, but the interest of others. So do you think the Democrats are looking out for the interest of the Republicans? I don't. Do you think the Republicans are looking out just for the Democrats? I don't. And until that gets right, I don't think any political solution is going to work. Because I don't trust you, because I'm not, I, I'm me and you. And, and before we put that off on those lousy politicians in the state house or in D.C., my question is, who's putting them in power? Well, you are, and I am. And we're sending with a mandate, aren't we? You do what I want, and if you don't, I'll censor you. I'll throw you out. Do we really want God's life-giving order, justice in the nations? Well, here's where it's going to start. The people of Jesus are getting real serious. Real serious about following Christ. Because we're going to see in verses 2 and 3, he's got a real radical, a real different way of bringing about his order. You ready? Here we go. Verse 2. He will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. He's not going to yell. He's not going to pound the paw. He's not going to do any of that. Is, that. is that typical of our political system? Is that typical of our political process? Is that typical when we have a disagreement about the, the mask or the vaccine or, or whatever we do? Is, is that how it goes? We don't, we don't raise our voice. We don't. No, I don't think it is. What else to say about Jesus here in verse 3? A bruised reed, he will not break. A reed's just this little narrow thing. And Jesus is going to step in such a way that he doesn't break anything. Now, this is the Son of God who was there at creation, spoke creation into existence, all powerful, could still the storm, could raise the person from the dead. But in his actions, he's not, he not going to break a reed. And a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. Now, I won't do it because Daniel would get really mad, but it's just a quick wave of my hand here. I, I could put those candles out, so could you. But Jesus, well, he didn't do that. But here's what it says. He will faithfully bring forth justice. That's God's life-giving order. Andy, that's nutty. That kind of thing, that'll, that, <laughs> that'll never work. Well, God disagrees with you. And he instructed his prophet Isaiah to write differently. Verse 4. He will not, Jesus, be disheartened or crushed until what? He has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands, and, and I might say, I might sup in here, Lincoln, Nebraska, the United States of America, the world will wait expectantly for what? His law. His way. His method of doing things. 
Remember? Talked about the whole visa thing, can't speak the language, don't know the system. Okay, Russian folks, I, I'm, I'm trusting you, here's my money, <coughs> go do your thing. I, I'm completely, that's what Jesus is calling for. I, I'm going to surrender everything I know, the way I get things done, how I do it. Why would I do that? Remember, we're the people, no taxation without representation, don't tread on me. That, that's our history. Why is Jesus worthy of our full trust? Here's why. Only Jesus, only Jesus can restore God's life-giving order. Only Jesus can restore God's life-giving order. And we get to be vehicles of that if we choose. But that may mean we seriously need to reconsider how we interact with people. How we handle people who disagree with us. Why, Andy, that'll never work. That's, you know, as I think about how I get things done, that's, that goes down the list of my choices. I, I don't think that, that'll work. 1961 had been a bad year for Nebraska football. They went 3-6-1. and one. They thought it was time for a new coach. So they released their old coach, and they offered the job, choice number one, to Ray Nagy of the University of Utah. And he said... No. They went to John Ralston, Utah State University, choice number two. And he said, no. Choice three, Duffy Doherty, Michigan State University. And he said, no. People, we're on fourth choice here, fourth choice. Duffy Doherty makes a recommendation of this coach at the University of Wyoming, Laramie, Wyoming, Named Bob Devaney. Seriously, fourth choice? You're going to get anywhere with your fourth choice? By 1970, Nebraska was national champions, and they won again in 71. Devaney, in case you don't recognize the name, that's the Devaney Center. That's that same guy. He had an assistant named Tom Osborne who would take over, and by the end of 97, Osborne had won three national championships. 62 to 97, depending how you want to, was the golden age of Nebraska football. You got an 8-3 and three record at that time, you might be on probation. You better bring that up. What would we do for an 8-3 and three record now, people? Devaney was what? What choice? Four. As you think, as I think about getting things done in this world and how it's going to happen and what we're going to do, and, you know, maybe Jesus' way is, it's down there on the list. I, it's not how you disagree, Andy. You know, it's not how you accomplish it. It's not how you do it in this world. If that's the case, I, I really encourage you to work down the list. Because the Word of God says there's a way to get things done and there's a way to bring in God's life. And we get to be a part of it but we need to radically follow complete trust in Jesus in the way he interacted, in the way he did life. Again, we're looking prophetically ahead. And so God the Father is going to be speaking to the Son starting in verse 5. Here's what it says. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and its offspring. Okay, so this is the God of creation, God the Father. And, and by the way, he's the one who gives 
breath to people on it. So if, you, if you're breathing today, you got, you got breath, you and I got breath, because this is the one who gave it to us. And spirit to those who walk in it. Now he's going to speak to his son, his servant. I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I will also uphold you by the hand and watch over you. Okay, I will appoint you, Jesus, as a covenant to the people. Covenant to the people is Israel. We're going to keep that covenant. You're going to be doing that covenant thing. But also, as a light to the nations. That's talking to the Gentile nations there. All right? Here's what you can do. To open blind eyes. To bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. So, Andy, is that spiritual, metaphorical, or is that literal? And my answer is yes. It's both. Can I talk one? I mean, I'm in the process. I've been doing this thing 79, so what am I? Am I 40 years in on this thing? So this is like my first year as a Christian. I'm a sophomore in college at Texas A&M. And I'm going to get my eyes opened. I'm a little blind. The uh, Campus Crusade was part of it. They bring a speaker in named Dick Purnell. And he has this talk entitled, Everybody Plays the Game, But Everybody Loses. Well, that's an interesting title. So I thought, I'm going to go see it. And he said, college students, speaking strictly to college students here, there's three ways I think you judge yourself. Your parents, your grades, and your material possessions. And here's the deal. You don't even know what the standard is. You just know you don't measure up. So everybody plays the game, but everybody loses. He hit with me on two out of those three. I, I'm not one who cares about material possessions, but I sure was aware of my appearance, and I was partic- particularly aware of my grade point because I'm in the middle of three boys, and both my brothers are super high or were super high academic achievers, and I was feeling that. And what he said in this talk is, why do you go against this standard? You don't even know what it is. You don't know how good looking you're supposed to be. You don't even know what your grade point's supposed to be. You don't know. You just know you don't. Why, why would you go that standard? And not trust the God who says, I accept you as you are. At 19 years old, as a sophomore in college, my eyes got opened. And I began this process. I'm going to start counting my worth, not in what I do or how I look, but in Jesus' acceptance of me. That began the process for me. Now, there's a number of literal interpretations. I want to talk about one. 1973, 74, our country was rocked by the Watergate scandal. It involved Richard Nixon, a special assistant to the president who had the office next door to him. name was Charles Colson. Colson gets indicted in this thing. And in the process, he becomes a Christian. And as a Christian, when he goes before the judge, he tells the truth. And you know how he gets rewarded for that? He gets convicted of a felony, and he goes to jail. That's some reward, isn't it? But you know what happened to Colson when he was in prison? So wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I think there's some things we can do here to live out biblical priorities and mandates for prisoners because God cares for the vulnerable. And there's some things we can do to rehabilitate prisoners rather than destroy them. And, and he begins a, a, a ministry called Prison Fellowship that continued starting around 75 until he died 30 or 40 years later, in which he is advocating for prisoners' rights. Spiritual or literal? 
Both. Spiritually, God does a work in us, and it moves us to impact our world with the gospel. And so for us, it's to ask, what does that order look like? What can we do? Where would God have us as we live out our faith in him? Bring justice in the nations. Again, this whole thrust of Isaiah is written to the people of Israel to say, stop trusting in some other idol. Stop looking some other place for life and put the full weight of your trust in me. And this is what verses 8 and 9 say. I'm the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another. So stop giving yourself to another, nor my praise to graven images. Now, we don't worship images, but we worship a and we worship approval and we worship affluence. We have our own modern day idols. Verse 9. Behold, the four things have come to pass. He's talking about in the past how he has predicted the future. And he says, now I declare new things. This is the rise of Persia and the rise of Cyrus. I'm predicting 170 years ahead. Before they spring forth, I proclaim them to you. Since I can call the future, why are you trusting in someone or something else? I want the full weight of your trust in me. And we think, oh, that's good, until we realize this affects the way we interact with people. This affects the way we present ourselves. Why? Because we're following a Savior who gave his life. At Jesus' trial, he got real quiet. And Pilate, the Roman prefect, says, dude, don't you realize I have your life in my hands? And Jesus said, no, you don't. Any authority you've got, I've given to you. I'm choosing. To that. That's the Savior we serve. Are we serious about following him? See, I'm hoping this Advent season is not one where we're busy. I mean, we got Christmas cards. How many of you got your Christmas shopping done? I've got to do my shopping. I've got to do this. And, oh, my. And there's these pressures. And we set up these idols of, we've talked about human improvement. I want them to like my gift. And my mother-in-law's coming. And, and Could be a wait a minute, I'm going to step back. You know, we've talked about that devotional. Would you talk, get in on that? What do we got, about 13 days till Christmas? Don't miss it. To reflect on Jesus. And the trap is there. Let me tell you about our family as we go into Christmas break. My wife is an English language learning teacher at Hartley Elementary, 33rd and Vine. She loves her job. Um, this week, they got one new family uh, from Afghanistan. They'll get another one this week. And she loves it because she gets to live out the biblical mandate of loving the foreigner among you. That's, that's all over the Old Testament. Yet it has been a hard semester for her because one of her colleagues had a family emergency and she's been out. And so she not only has to focus on these kids, but she has to administrate. She's been writing subplans, and, and that's going to change at the semester. But there's a sense from our family like, wow. We get a break. And, and I just don't want our Christmas to be, oh, we get a break. Second thing, we've got an older son who's had some challenges, but he is graduating from Wayne State this Friday. I couldn't be prouder. So we're going up there, and we're going to celebrate. This is a time of celebration. We're really excited about that. Then our younger son, who may or may not mute me before I'm done, uh, he's a sophomore at the University of Nebraska, and he spent his freshman year 
at our kitchen table or in his room. So he's been doing college for real for the first time, and it's gone great. It's been a great experience. We're celebrating that, and that's good. Let's relax. Let's celebrate. I'm just saying that's what's going on in our family, but don't let what's going on take us away from. Here's the big deal. God took on flesh, and he, he, he came, and he knowing he would die for you and took on your sin, but that's just not to get you into heaven, to get me into heaven. That's to radically change the way we live, that we follow him full on, full out, and trust him and realize that he's rearranging and he's redoing our priorities. Would you take these next 13 days to wrestle with what it means to follow him. In just a bit, I'm going to be done, and I'm going to pray, and then we're going to come up. We're going to sing a final, final song. And it asks a question, this song does. Is he worthy? Do you think Jesus is worthy of your full trust? Do you think Jesus is worthy of your trust, even to the point it may radically mess with how you do life or where you do life or how you interact or what you do or what you don't do? Is Jesus worthy of that kind of trust? I ask you to think about that as we close with that song. So I mentioned we have two boys. Um, when our younger son was uh, about... I don't know, 18 months or so, we moved down to Arizona, pastorate. I was there before we came here. And uh, we're in an apartment, and so we had a pool. And so when he figured out we're going to the pool, I mean, he is off, and he is running towards that thing. i got to keep up with this little guy. And on this occasion, I get in there, I get ahead, I open the gate, and he just runs to the pool, and he just jumps in, and I'm not there. And, and it, that had always been the drill. He gets on the side of the pool, and he just jumps. It's kind of like, oh, my, I'm not there. And i in the pool, and i got to scoop him up. <laughs> and I, as much as I can to an 18-year-old, I said, son, you, you got to wait till Daddy's ready before you jump. But you know what I realized? In his 18-month-old mind, he had complete trust. I'd always caught him. He figured I'd get him. I didn't worry about it. He just jumped. Away he went. Didn't think about it. I might drown. I might this. I just trust you. That's what Jesus is looking for. For you. For me. I jump. I trust. I let go of things that I didn't think I'd ever let go of. I trust you. And yeah. He'll get me. I think Jesus is worthy of that kind of trust. Because only Jesus can bring in God's life-giving order. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, uh, we're grateful for Christmas. God takes on human flesh. Um, and yet it's a, it's a radical call. Jesus lived life differently, didn't live with our priorities for sure. And yet he promised to bring about justice. Uh, we've got our ideas of how we want to bring things about, but perhaps those need to change. I pray Advent season would be a season in which we get real serious about you and who you are and 
what kind of difference that might make in our life. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.